just thank you for this opportunity to come together and to meet with you in the body of Christ. We ask you to be here and guide and lead us as we go into scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. First Kings chapter 13, we're continuing on the story of Jeroboam, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. <laughs> we'll get, get back and forth here so we can get all confused. Uh, and we're going to look at these individuals and see how they disobey God and where God is going to go with them. So we look at Rehoboam in our last chapter, listened to bad advice, made bad decisions, got the people mad at him, lost 10, ten of the 12 tribes of, of Israel, went north and went under Jeroboam. Jeroboam immediately decided that the, he had to make a new religion for the people because he didn't want his people going to Jerusalem to worship. So he brought and introduced golden calf worship to, to the northern, northern tribes. Uh, so they both start out on a very good note with God, uh, being very facetious with that. They're not, they're not going the right directions, right direction. So chapter 13. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar in the, in, in the word of the Lord in, and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon you shall he offer the priests of, of the high places that burn incense upon you, and the men's bones shall be burnt upon you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had called, cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold of him. And his hand which he put forth against him dried up, so that he could not pull it back again unto him. And the altar was rent, and the ashes poured out on, from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord your God, and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored unto him, and it became as it was before. All right, so here we are. This prophet comes up into the ten kingdoms where Jeroboam, who is the king of the northern kingdoms, who is worshiping the golden calf, is at the altar for the golden calf making offerings. And he comes up to him and he makes a prophecy. And it's kind of interesting because the prophecy is aimed directly at the altar. Okay? O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord. Okay, it's not even aimed at the king. This prophecy is to be to the altar. Why? Because the king is not following God in the first place. He's following a golden calf, so God has nothing really to say to him. And he says in front of everybody, Behold, a child shall be born of the house of David, Josiah by name. This is really about the second time that God gives a specific name to an individual. The other one is going to be when Isaiah prophesies that Cyrus will deliver God's people. Right? In this case, he gives a prophecy about Josiah. Josiah will be born approximately 282 years later from the time that the prophecy is given. And he's 15 kings later than the Rehoboam. 
So he's 15 generations removed from Rehoboam. And this prophecy says that king is going to make a sacrifice upon this altar of the priests. Now, not technically sacrifice, but he's going to burn the, he's going to burn the priest upon that, upon that altar. Huh? 15 kings later, 282 years. All right? But 15 generations of kings later that Josiah is going to be born. And if you want to read about the fulfillment of this prophecy, it's in 2 Kings 23, verses 13 through 16, where Josiah fulfills this prophecy. 2 Kings 23, 13 through 16. This is where the fulfillment of this, ver- of this prophecy is going to be. You know, almost three, you know, close to 300 years later, it's going to be fulfilled. Now, this is... People want to say the Bible is not very true and all this. You know, we have very, we have prophecies that are accurate to within the name. <laughs> and then Josiah comes and he comes to this altar, kills the high priests of, of uh, Baal and, and, and the golden calves, burns them on that altar. And then to make sure nobody uses that altar again, he goes to the cave and pulls bones out of the, and puts dead man's bones on it and burns those. Because that, and the reason they do that is to desecrate the altar. If you, you, you desecrate the altar, it's not to be reused again. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. Just clean it up and make it, make it fresh. But that's not the way they thought. All right? Um, so we see this. He says, Josiah by name, and upon you shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon you, and men's bones shall be burnt upon you. Very, very specific prophecy. This altar, the high priests of their, of their religion, and dead man's bones. And Josiah was going to be the one to do it. And 282 years later, Josiah does, just comes to power, and sometime after that, fulfills this prophecy. So this is kind of an interesting thing. The Bible is full of prophecies, and we've seen so many of the prophecies come true. The prophecies of Jesus' birth that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And they said the Messiah, they didn't use his name, but Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. This was made, when the prophecy was made, Bethlehem was a little hick province with a couple of families in it that there was a shepherding, shepherding community that was not going to be that big a deal. And yet they're going, this is where the Messiah is going to be born. And then they give his death and all this other stuff that they give him we see the prophecies that are coming true in our day toward the end times. One world government being formed, a casteless society being, befo- being formed. And the strange thing we look around is people are begging for both. Right now, people are begging for one world government to solve our problems. It won't, and it didn't in the past when it was being done in, in uh, Babylon under Nimrod. It didn't solve the problems. It exasperated the problems, and God made the uh, the confused speech and moved people around so that so that they would quit trying to do this and now we're trying to go back back to what was already destroyed back to what didn't work and yet we beg and people are begging for what didn't work in the first place and it's kind of an amazing thing you know the more I look around at people asking for things that historically don't work and biblically don't work it's very interesting to look around and saying People are pretty dumb. They don't look at history. And 
it's not hard to predict where the, our country is even going because we just look at history. We're following the path to communism, and that, you know the, what happened in Russia, what happened in China, what happened in in Venezuela, what happened in uh, Puerto Rico, uh, in Cuba, that led to communism is what's going on right now in America. And without God doing a revival, we will become a communist nation quickly. Just as Russia, China, Venezuela all did in less than two years, all those countries became what they were to communism. And we're on that path. Without a miracle, it's not going to change. You know, does that mean anything for us as Christians? Yes, it means persecution. Other than that, not much. It means that we get to give our life for God and as martyrs. We get to do, do great things for him and, 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 and work for him and suffer. And you know, that's not the end of the world. The amazing thing, when you look at the great missionaries in these countries, they went to prison for what they believed. But you know, when you talk to them, when you hear their testimony, they, they talk about being bold with their witness. Going out on the streets and witnessing for Jesus, knowing that it meant prison. And going out and witnessing with great boldness. And it's kind of funny that in America, a lot of people won't go witness because they're afraid of being made fun of and we don't have to face prison yet. But there's going to come a time when we're going to face the possibility of prison. You know, and I've said this myself, and I've heard another church, uh, pastor say it. You know, the church needs to get used to their pastors going to prison here in America. Because it's just around the corner that that's going to happen. And if your pastor isn't willing to go to prison, he's not worth being your pastor. He's not willing to stand on God's word. He's not somebody that you want to be, be under. And so we want to be prepared for this. This prophecy comes along and it says, there's going to be a time when a man, of, a king, is going to stand up and defend God. And Josiah was one, Josiah was a godly man up until a certain point in his life where he turned and went bad. <laughs> you know, hey, you know, the Bible is full of people who had a good start and a bad end. Josiah was one of those guys who had a good start. <laughs> and had a bad, bad end. I mean, not that he totally turned from God, but he got a little too big for his britches and God gave him leprosy. Uh, because he wanted, to, he, wanted to, he wanted to do the priest job and give offerings as well as be king. And God said, okay, fine, you've got leprosy. Uh, and we see this over and over again that it's so easy to fall away from God when we're not, when we're not really focused in on him and doing things his way. We can get prideful. And God is saying, stand for me by my ways. Too often we try to do things our way. God, I, I'm going to help you out. I'm smarter than you are, God. I can figure out how to do, serve you. And God's saying, I, I don't need any help. You know, God never employed any one of his, his people to be his counselor. He, we are his servants. And we are to do things his way. And God is the only being in this universe that does not need a counselor to always do what's right. Because he is God and he will do what is right always. And so we need to keep this in mind to do things his way. And not try to help him out. And I've, and I've even been guilty of that. God, I really think this would be a really great way to answer this prayer and tell him how I expect the prayer to be answered. You know what? He never answers my prayers that way. If I tell them a way that I think would be a really, God, you know, that person's got lots of money, you know, they've got, they've got the perfect car. Why don't you just have them give us that, that vehicle for the church? That's not going to happen. You know, God, that person's got lots of money. Why don't you just get them to give us a little bit to, 
you know, they'd never even miss it. It's never going to be that person. And it's an amazing thing that when we try to tell God how the prayer should be answered, we're not even going to be close to the right way. To have, and God gives a miraculous way to get it answered. And, you know, it's amazing here what God does. And, you know, it says here that as soon as he gave the sign the same day, saying it's the sign of the Lord should be spoken, behold, the altar shall be rent in the ashes, that on it shall be poured out. So the altar was going to break. Now, this is going to be one of those things that's interesting because the altar is made out of stone. And stones don't break very easy. All right? And yet he's saying this altar is going to break. This altar is going to break in two, and the ashes are going to pour all over the ground. And it came to pass on verse 4 that as soon as Jeroboam heard the saying, which the man cried out against the altar in Bethel, he put forth his arm from the altar and, say, and saying, lay hold of them, and an arm that he put forth dried up so that he could not pull it back. This literally means the moisture left his arm. I can't even imagine what that meant. He puts out his arm and it basically becomes like wood. Uh, he can't do anything with it. I mean, it's not literally wood, but it's dried out. Dried out completely. Everything is not moving and he's pointing and cannot move his arm. How quick can God judge somebody? That was quick. That was quick. Yeah, take him and all of a sudden he's looking down and he can't even, he realizes that God is stronger. And you know, you think about this. God had told Jeroboam if he honored him, he was going to have an everlasting dynasty in the northern kingdom. And the very first thing he does is turn away from God and creates golden calf worship. Then when God speaks to him, when he should be repenting and saying, oh, gee, I've made a total mistake of life, he starts to tell you, say, kill the prophet. And God stops him. It's an amazing thing as we read this section already we've had several times where somebody where God has said something and people have tried to stop what God has said. Solomon was told, You're going to, your son's going to lose the kingdom. So what did he try to do? He tried to kill Jeroboam. Jeroboam ran for his life to Egypt. Jeroboam was told, if you just honor me, you're going to be there. Now the prophet speaks against him and he, and he tries to kill the prophet. Over and over again in the scriptures, we see people trying to defy God. In our lives, if we try to defy God, he will move against us and bring judgment upon us. Been there, done that, where I try to do things my way and not God's way. It's not fun to do things your way. Most of these people found out Solomon didn't, had attacks put on him. He had a very peaceful kingdom up until the end of his days when he was disobeying the God and trying to actively stop God's word. Jeroboam is going to have troubles. And from this point on, he's going to have troubles because he's actively going against God. Now, can these, can these men end up getting... Uh, past the consequences? Yes, if they repent, they, God, God will start some blessings. Will they still face consequences? Yes, so far they still face consequences. When we disobey God, there are consequences that we have to pay. The, the good news is when we repent, God may push back on those consequences or show us how they're for our good. All things work together for good, including the consequences for our bad actions. 
God turns them for something good, usually for our growth, usually for, may just be to make us smarter that we're not going to keep fighting with him and making disobedient decisions. But he says, I'm going to make something good out of these problems. And God will use everything we do. Even when it's our fault, God uses it. Even when it's our fault, God will make something good. Now, it may not be for us. And I've shared with you, I went through an event where it was for other people to see me go through it and, and honor God. It wasn't for me. It was painful. It didn't make any sense. And yet others said they were encouraged by what I went through. Maybe that's all it is sometimes. But you know, at the same time, it strengthens us to be obedient to God. Job went through some really bad times, but God strengthened him and made him a better follower by doing so. Job had gone in thinking that if I do the right things, God is mandated to bless me. You know, name it and claim it. If I do the good things, God must bless me. There is nothing that God must do, all right, other than be holy and righteous. Now, if we call upon the name of Jesus, then he will, because he said he would, forgive us and bring us into the family. But unless we have a scripture that says he must do something, he's not, there's nothing he's going to be bound to do. Just because I give him something does not mean I'm going to get an immediate earthly blessing. All right? Most of it is I help the kingdom, and I treasure up uh, heavenly treasures. And the good news is something usually good on this world happens, but not necessarily what I think it's going to be. God does not say, give me a, you know, if I give him $100, he's going to give me 1000 Doesn't work that way. Well, a lot of pastors say that. Now, if it worked like that, I'd give him my whole paycheck. Every, every time my paycheck comes in, my, my paycheck goes straight to God. All right, God, I'm looking, I'm looking for that to be, you know, uh, ten times that number. Give it, give it right back. And I'd probably give him that back and say, okay, I'd be back. I'd be a million very quick. Seven million very quick. It doesn't work that way. Because God is not a slot machine. He is not a function machine that if I do certain things, he is going to do certain, certain things back. Now, he has promised that he is good. He has promised that, that he will bless us. He has promised that he will give us. And he has promised that when we give our tithes and offerings to him, that he will bless us. And he will rebuke the devourer. And this is something I have found. That when I give my tithes and offerings to God, my money that's left over goes much further than if I didn't tithe, give the tithe and offering. Uh, and it, it's fun sometimes to watch what God does. God, I can't afford to do this, and the next thing I know, there's something else coming in. Some other little blessing here, a little blessing there. I, my money stretches further. I find a great deal on what I was going to buy anyway at a much higher price and find it at, you know, at a much lower price. God blesses his people in little ways, some ways you have to look for. But it's always the blessing. And I think some of those blessings are something we're not even going to see. The time when our tires should have blown out when we, when we hit, hit this bump just right, they, would, they should have blown the tire out. The time when we should have hit something when, when, we, when we hit that slick spot and didn't, didn't go off the road and roll the car. Now, all the little things that he does for us because we're honoring him.
And we need to keep this in mind. Honor him or face judgment. Jeroboam's judgment was immediate. His arm withered up. Withered up to nothing. And he said, pray for me. <laughs> you know, pray for me. And the man of God prayed for him. Now, this is the interesting thing. We as Christians need to pray for those that, cons that consider us their enemies. And I'm not even going to say that we consider them our enemies in many cases. Those who consider us enemies. We pray for those who despitefully use us. We pray for those who are actively trying to destroy us. At least we're supposed to. And that doesn't make sense to the human being. You know, God, why should I pray for them? Because they need God. And only God can change their heart. And this is the important thing. Without God, people's hearts will not be changed, including our own. Without him in us, changing who we are, we will not change to be like him and be able to pray for others and to, to reach out to others. And this is important. The man of God reaches out and prays for the king who just a few minutes ago was saying arrest him now he doesn't he is not even sure i mean it's pretty sure he's not going to have you arrested after after you make this prayer but there are crazier things that have happened he's not absolutely sure that he's not going to be arrested and and killed as soon as the king has gotten his arm healed and forgotten about the fact that god did it because we as human beings are very short, short memories about what God has done. And you, if you don't want to believe it, look at your own lives in many cases. How many promises have we made? God, if you will just get me out of this situation, I will serve you. I will do whatever. Especially before we're saved. We're, we might more likely do it after we're saved, but before we, we're saved, how many times we say, God, if you just... You know, God, I know I deserve what I'm on, but if you just get me out of this, I promise to go to church, read my Bible, be a better person, whatever it might be that you promise God. And as soon as you're out of the situation, you just say, well, okay, yep, all right. Don't even thank God for it. You, Wow, that was close. That was really close. I, I really was facing problems on that one. And you go right about your business doing what you've always been doing. And I can almost hear God shaking his head and going, how forgetful you humans are. How forgetful you are. I, I saved you like you asked, and you rejected me. And you didn't, even, you didn't even start to follow me in many cases. I've heard that testimony over and over again. Promise God I'd start going to church. Thought about it the first Sunday and didn't go to church. You know, and this is what happens, and he's not sure that this isn't what the king's going to do. And yet he heals the king by God's power and he's restored just as it was before. So his arm went from being totally dried up so that he can't move it to being back the way it was before he started. And his king's arm was probably pretty strong. I mean, the kings in those days were pretty, pretty good uh, physical specimens, especially early on. And we know that Jeroboam was a warrior. He was a fighter. He had a nice strong arm. He was used to, used to and then to have it dry up to nothing and then be restored. It had to have been something that had to have some impact on him, and yet it didn't change his heart toward God. Verse 7, 
And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, If you will give me half your house, I will not go with you, neither will I eat bread or drink water in, your, in this place. For so was it charged, by, charged me by the word of God, Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again to, by the same way which you came. So he went another way and returned not by the way he came to Bethel. All right, so the king says, come with me. I'm going to give you a reward. What's the king want right now? The king is not wanting to turn to God at this point. He wants the power that the man of God has, has, has shown him. He's not even wanting God at this point. He just wants power. And this happens with the world frequently. They want the power they see. Simon the sorcerer, you know, told, told the disciple, you know, I will pay you for this power. What, you know, show, basically saying, I'm a, I'm a magician. I understand it's all by tricks, you know, smoke and mirrors. Show me, I'll, I will buy the, this power from you. Show me how it's done. You know, and it's kind of funny. Magicians all know that everything's done by smoke and mirrors and, and redirection. And they all do the same tricks. You know, and here he, he sees a trick, basically, and he says, I want, I, want, I want somebody with that kind of power in my corner. You know, not even realizing that if he followed God, he'd have the power that he was looking for. And yet, the man of God says, no, God said not to eat or drink and not to even go home the same way. I'm not, I'm, I can't go with you. I've got to go straight back to my home. And he leaves. Now that's, you know, we don't really understand that, but how bold is this? To tell a king, no, I'm not doing what you asked. We don't fully understand what that means. You know, because the king could have said, you know, he's already, he was already going to arrest him. He could, but he's, you know, in his mind is, I don't need to go through this again. He could have had him arrested and, and, and executed. So this guy's being very bold for God. And this is what God asks of us to be bold. Not obnoxious, not rude, but to be bold. And the problem we have in Christianity today, for the most part, is we have a bunch of wimps that are, that are claiming to be Christians. The minute the heat comes on them, they clam up, they don't speak up. We have churches all over the place that won't meet because the government's told them not to. Now, Unfortunately, my Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much more as you see the day approaching. You know, I'm not going to say, and this is one of those places where I'll say, I'm going to honor God and not man. If that means I go to prison for, you know, jail for, for honoring God, I go to jail for honoring God. And thankfully, in our state, we don't have to face that. Because our governor has decided that we are an essential service and we're protected by the First Amendment, which all of the churches are in America even though the governors don't think so, but yet they won't stand up for their rights. But not even stand up for their rights, they're not standing up for what God tells them to do because these pastors are wimps. You know, and we need to be careful. This, the American church is full of wimps that won't stand up for God. And we need to be able to stand up for God and say, God, you said to do it. Now, as I've said before, if you're going to disobey the government, the consequences are that the government punishes you. And we can't say, well, I'm just obeying God, you can't punish me, because that's not what the disciples said. The disciples says, we've got to obey God. If you want to beat us, 
you have the right to beat us because we're obeying God and you say we can't. And we need to understand when we disobey the government, the government has the right to punish us. And then God has the right to punish the government later on and will. And will do it. May, may, may not be until the accounts are settled in heaven, but he will punish the government for their misuse of his power. Until then, we suffer. And we take it with quietness and meekness. In First Peter, Peter says, you know, what value is it if you get beat because of what you've done wrong? He goes, that's just getting what you deserve. But he says, when you get beat and punished for doing what is right, and you stay silent, there is great honor before God. That's hard for us to understand. Because our human flesh is saying, you know, it's not fair, God. How could you, how could you let them do it? They shouldn't be able to get away with this. And in America, we're going to have that same problem. God, there's no way they can get away with this. It's against the, it's against the Constitution. And it is against the Constitution, and they're getting away with it. And the, some of the lower courts are allowing it against the Constitution. Our world is coming apart, and we need to seek after God. And it's going to come to a place where we need to be going to God and saying, God, where do I stand? How do I stand? What do I do? When do I stand for God and make a decision that's against the government? When do I obey the government? If they tell us to do something that is clearly against the Bible, then we stand for God. If it's not against the, against the word, then we obey the government, even when we think it's totally stupid and, and, and not, not of any value, we obey the government, unless it's against God's word. And then we get ready to suffer the consequences for being disobedient. And this is where we're going to get to. Why did the disciples preach Jesus? Because he said, make go preach in my name and make disciples. Why did uh, people in China and Romania and Russia preach the word of God when, even though the communists said not to? Because God said to do so. And they took the punishments that came their way. We need to be ready for these things. We need to be ready to go forward and be bold. Christians are not supposed to be cowards. We are different from the world if we're living a Christian life. And that makes us a target for anybody, even if it's not the government coming against us. And most of us know what that's like, to be teased because you won't take the drinks, you won't, you won't go to the parties, you won't, you won't uh, uh, pursue, uh, you know, get stoned, you won't, you won't go sleeping around. Because God says, don't do these things. And right now, all we get done, all we have is people teasing us, making fun of us. And yet so many Christians won't take a stand in today's world. Can't imagine what it's going to be like when the world is totally upside down by the government standards and they won't do it. It's going to separate the wheat and the tares very quickly. And we see here this very bold man telling the king, I don't want your reward. And the king's going to give him a reward. I mean, it's probably going to be a big reward. And he says, I cannot go with you. And he turns around and leaves. And the king lets him leave. Then we see in this process in verse 11, And there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done in the day of Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the kings, and then they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, What way went he? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went, and came from Judah. 
And he said unto his son, Saddle up my donkey. And they saddled up his donkey, and he rode thereon. And went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak, and said unto him, Are you the man of God that came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you, nor go into with you, neither shall I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said unto me by the word of the Lord, You shall eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again to out of the way that you came. And he said unto them, I am a prophet also as you are. And an angel spoke to me, saying, by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back in with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him, and he went with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. This is something that is kind of an interesting vignette in this whole, this whole thing. It calls this man a prophet. The question is, who's he a prophet for? All right? And there's three basic choices. He's not a prophet, which I don't believe. He is a bad prophet of God. Or he is a prophet to the idol. All right? The first one is that, that he's not a prophet. It very clearly says he's a prophet. So he's, you know, I'm going I'm to say he's a prophet. Is he a bad prophet of God and, you know, and just a liar? That is a possibility. But his sons were there at the place of the worship of the golden calf. I believe that he's a false prophet for the, for the, for the golden calf. All right? Uh, and he goes and seeks out this man of God. And, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing because this actually happens in churches at times. People are convinced that they've heard the word of God and have a, have a plan for God, and somebody will come along and supposedly be speaking in the name of God and draw them away from what God has told them to do. And here he comes to the man, and he says, come, in, come to my house and eat. He, goes, he gives the same thing he told the king. No, I can't. I can't, I can't eat. I can't drink water. I've got to go straight back to Judah, you know, and I can't go back the same way. And this man, as it says, lies to him. God's angel appeared. And, you know, the interesting thing is if you look at this, the word Lord in there is Yahweh. He invokes the name of God in his statement. Even though he's not a prophet of Yahweh, he's a prophet probably of the golden calf. He invokes God's name in his comment. The angel of the Lord, Yahweh, it's in all capital letters if you have a King James Version that, that does that, saying, bring him back to my house. So basically he's saying, I'm an older man, you should listen to me. Be very careful. This is why I always say, I want everybody being good Bereans in our church. I don't care who says what. If I say it, I don't care. Go in the scriptures and look what the scriptures say, and if I say something that doesn't match up to scriptures, I'm wrong. Plain and simple. Now, I would say, talk to me about it so that we can make, you know, make sure that you heard me right and make sure I didn't say something wrong and make sure that you're interpreting the scriptures right. You know, but, but look at the scriptures. See what the scriptures say. As you're listening to these people on the radio and on TV, make sure that what they're saying matches the scriptures and make sure that what they are is it, that they represent the scriptures in context. Because what do I do with most every one of you that ask me a question about a Bible verse? The very first thing we do is read it in context. 
And usually just reading the verse in context straightens out your question. And if it doesn't, then we'll discuss it. But usually just reading it in context will be able to explain it. And it is not uncommon for this kind of stuff to happen. Somebody being absolutely sure that God has told them to do something, and quite likely has, and having some person who supposedly been walking with God for a long time give them all the reasons it's not a wise thing, give them all the reasons why they shouldn't do it, and make them drift off in the wrong direction. And this prophet has had a mighty, miraculous time with God. He's given the prophecy that the temple, that the altar was going to be t- broken in half, and it was broken in half. The king was going to have him arrested and executed, and there was a miracle that his arms withered up, and he, and he was able to pray for it to be healed, decides that God has been right up till now, but maybe this older gentleman has a, has a closer relationship to God and decides to follow him. Be very careful with this type of thing. You know, it is so easy to destroy people's vision for God. I have seen it happen where somebody says, I want to be a missionary, and they get talked out of it. You know, my goal, my hope for all my kids was that they would all be pastors and missionaries. None of them have done it, unfortunately, but <laughs> that was my goal for them. They had other goals. You know, but you know, what is, what is our reaction when somebody says, I want to be a missionary? I'm going to encourage them. They may or may not be going down to the mission field, but I want to encourage them. All right, tell me, about your, tell me about what God is telling you to do. I want to encourage people when they say, I think God wants me to do whatever it is that God's asking them to do because we don't have enough workers for God anyway, so it would be great to keep encouraging everybody. Ultimately, I would love to train somebody to replace me at this job, and then God would give me someplace else. But you know, this is the important thing. Many people hold on to what God has given them and say, I'm going to not train up anybody. I'm afraid somebody will get bigger and better than me. If somebody can get bigger and better than me at what I'm doing, I'll go someplace else. It's not that big a deal. There's plenty of room in the kingdom of God for other workers. Plenty. If God was to call somebody else and train somebody else to be a better pastor than I am for this church, I'd step aside and say, fine, God, I'll go to some other church that can help them get started. And if you want to replace me in that one, fine. Missionaries, ultimate goal for the missionary is to train up locals wherever they're at to take their place and then move on. And if they get jealous of the people moving up, they're not doing what God wants them to do. You know, in this case, this man should have said, well, if you're such a man of God, you, you, you go back to the king and you, tra- you tra- treat the king and you prophesy to the king. I'm going to follow what God told me to do. He's already seen. I mean, it'd be one thing if he met this man on the way to see the king. You can almost picture him being tricked out of, out of seeing the king. But he has seen the king. The prophecy has been fulfilled. He's seen the power of God move, and this man comes and tricks him. Never let anybody talk you out of what you know God is directing you to do, whatever that might be. Because God works with each one of us individually. And Satan loves to try to send somebody in there to deceive us, as this prophet was sent to deceive this other young man. We need to be very careful. Job's friends were instruments of Satan to try to attack. I'm not going to say they were bad men. They were just 
they were being used by Satan to try to harm Job. They all had the bad doctrine that if you do good things, you always must be blessed. And God will never let anything bad happen to you when you're his child. It would be really wonderful if that was true. It would be really wonderful if nothing bad ever happened to me because I, since I accepted Jesus Christ. Uh, in the 50 years I've walked with him, lots of bad things have happened, or apparently bad things. Now, they've all turned out to be good in the long run, but when I'm going through them, they don't seem like good things. Job did not think what he was going through was good, but at the end, he was completely blessed, and he saw how good it was. Everything always works together for good. For all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God, love God and are called according to the purpose of God. Yeah. It's very important. They always work for good. They may seem horrendous at the time that we're going through them. You know, when you look at Corey Tenboom being arrested, going to prison to one of the worst prisoner of war camps in Germany during World War II and going through all that she had and what happened? People came to Christ. In the midst of that prison camp, people were coming to Christ and turning to God. What a blessing. Was it a good camp? Absolutely no. It was a miserable, terrible camp. There were great blessings out of it. People came to Christ. So we want to be able to understand that God will do things for us and through us and give us blessings in the long run and strengthen us so that we can endure the next trial that we're going to go through. And this is the beauty of this. And this man was able to endure the king, but didn't endure the quote-unquote man of God that came to him. And there are a lot of churches that will use just this kind of language to God said to me, and give you a blessing, and give you, give you words that oftentimes are contrary to the Bible. And it's funny, in those types of churches, what happens when they say God's, God said... You're not even supposed to think about what they say. You're not supposed to argue with what they say. You're not even supposed to look and say, does it match God's word? Because they've said the magic words, God said. You know, this man said, God said, and this prophet turned off his brain and, and listened to him. You know, well, gee, you know, you're older than I am. If God's talking to you, you must, you know, you must have heard better than I did. Be careful. Don't let anybody ever talk you out of what God has told you to do because it is going to be important to obey. He got lied to and leads to him being disobedient because he turns aside with that prophet. Verse, nine, uh, verse 20. And it came to pass as he sat at the table that the word of the Lord came into the prophet that brought him back. Now this is interesting. This false prophet now is going to have a word from God. A real word from God. And that word is, and he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as you have disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but came back and has eaten bread and drunk water in this place which the Lord did say unto you eat no bread and drink no water your carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of your fathers this is interesting 
God uses a lost person to speak for him. I don't know if you've been ever walked around enough, but there have been times when I've had somebody who is very clearly not saved speak something that I know is from God. And it's pretty amazing because God is so sovereign that he can use them to speak. And they say something that just hits and pricks straight to the heart. And it may be something as simple, well, I thought you Christians didn't do something like this. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it just pricks you to the, to the core. It's God speaking through them to bring conviction that you're doing the wrong things. I've had this happen. Now, in this case, maybe this prophet was a bad prophet of God. I, you know, and, and this is possible. And this is why a lot of people, this verse is why a lot of people think maybe he was a bad prophet. All of a sudden, God spoke through him. I think he was still just a bad prophet that God used in spite of himself. God uses people to say and do things that he, de- he declares. Huh? Oh, he's definitely the best of backstep. Well, I think God is the one that spoke through him. God is, you know, he's speaking through God's words. And God is speaking through him without him even realizing it because God can make things be said. And even with us, have you ever been in a place where you had no intention whatsoever of saying something about God and the next thing you know, you're witnessing or you're doing something for God? I had a backslidden state for two years and I witnessed a lot during that period of time and I really felt like a, such a hypocrite because I hadn't gone to church, I wasn't reading my Bible, I wasn't praying, and I was telling people they needed to know God. You know, it was, it was horrendous. It was a horrendous experience. Now, I don't know whether I evangelized more during that time or I just remembered because I felt like such a hypocrite for doing it. But you know, God can work through us whether we mean to or not. If, if he needs us to speak, we will. You know, we, we know that will happen. Balaam's donkey spoke to him, so I mean, God can do whatever he wants. You know, Balaam, Balaam was corrected by a donkey. And so God can use whatever he wants, and sometimes many of us are being donkeys, and God uses us anyway and to speak for him. You know, because he says, I need this said, you're going to speak it. And, we're, and, you're, and you're going, how can I be saying this? I, can't, I, don't, I don't understand why I would be even saying this stuff. This person speaks for God, and he says there's consequences. You disobeyed God, and there's a consequence. Basically, you're not making it back to your home to get buried in your, in your, in your sepulcher of your family. And what a prophecy. This guy stepped out for God, obeyed God, and then disobeyed God. Disobeyed God knowing what he was supposed to do and disobeyed. How swift can God's judgment come? Sometimes just this swiftly. Sometimes God is merciful and doesn't give us what we deserve right away. Sometimes it's very swift. Sometimes our whole life falls apart because we're disobedient. And God says, now are you ready to repent and listen? Sometimes we may even die. And this prophet is going to die. He's going to die a very strange death. As we, as we look on this. Verse 23. And it came to pass after he had eaten the bread and after he had drunk that he saddled up for him the donkey to wit for the prophet whom he had, he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him in the way and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way and the donkey stood by it and the lion also stood by the carcass. 
And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast, cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass, and they told it to the city where the prophet dwelt. This is kind of an interesting thing. This man gets killed by a lion. And both the donkey and the lion stand by the body. Now, one of the things you know, if you know anything about wildlife, the predators don't kill for the sake of killing. When they kill something, they eat it. And he's not going to sit there next to a donkey, which is going to be another, another food source. So this poor lion is being used by God to kill the prophet, but he has to stand there and not get to eat. You know, and can you imagine you're walking down the road and, and you know, it says the men came by and here's a man laying in the road, a, a donkey standing next to him and a lion standing next to him. What a bizarre picture this is. You know that something weird is going on when you see this picture. Okay? A donkey and a lion standing next to a body. And it's like, okay, why isn't the lion eating the man? Why isn't the lion attacking the donkey? But the lion is standing guard, basically, over this body. And the donkey standing guard over the body because God told him to do so. What is it? Was that that talking donkey? No, this wasn't the talking donkey. <laughs> this donkey was just being obedient to God. Because you know the donkey's instinct, insta in, instincts is get away from this lion as far as possible. The lion's instinct is, hey, I just killed, I just killed food. I'm going to eat food, and it doesn't, eat, it doesn't kill the food. So nothing is going in by its natural instincts. And it's amazing that the natural world is more obedient to God than man is. You know, Noah was, you know, God told the animals to go to Noah, and he sent the animals to Noah. Noah didn't have to run around the world trying to find animals. They were sent to him. All right. Uh, all through the scriptures, the animals are obedient to God. God says to do something, and they do it. You know, a fish goes and swallows Jonah. Then the fish spits Jonah up on the beach. The fish is smarter than the people. Yeah, well, the, the, whole, the whole of nature is smarter than people. But they just are doing what they're told. Man has free will. Man does what man wants to do. And our goal from God is that we turn our free will over to him to be his servants. And then even then, it's tough. God, I want to be your servant, and yet there's so much to distract us from being his servant that we sometimes make lots of bad decisions, and God says, turn your life over to me. Let me crucify it. And the hardest thing for us as humans is to, to release and surrender our pride does not like to surrender to God. Our pride does not like to give up my rights. But you know what? When we do, life is so much better. When we do things God's way, it is so much sweeter to live. And it's so much better to go through life knowing that God is doing what's good because God is always good. You know, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And we need to keep that in mind. No matter what is going on in our life, when it seems like everything bad is happening to us, God is good, and he has a plan. And that is one of the very big things that I keep bringing up for us over and over. When it seems like things are going bad, we turn to God and we represent and we turn to him and say, God, I just want what you want. Very important for us to quit fighting God. 
Because when we fight God, life is miserable. When I disobey God, life is miserable. When I just say, God, I'm willing to go where you want, bad things may seem to happen, but God is still in charge, and good comes out of it, always. I may not see it at the time that is going on. And this is why I try so often to say, when bad things seem to be happening to you, look to God and see what's going to happen. Because if God's in charge, and he is, good is going to happen. Good is going to happen. We may have to look for it. We may not understand good when it happens. Many of our Christian movies that we watch on Friday nights show that very thing, where everything bad seems to be happening. They turn their life over, and really crazy things start happening to them, and yet God blesses and, and makes things good out of that process. We need to understand there is a plan, and God has a plan always. And if we just get out of the way, we can see it happen now. Or I can fight with God tooth and nail, and God still brings his plan to, to fruition in the long run. I just have to be drugged through the briar patch and through behind, behind him on the ground instead of walking with him. He's going to get me where he wants me to be one way or the other. I have a choice. Walk with him in the middle of all the trials and tribulations or be drugged behind him and struggle. I've kind of learned over the years it's much more fun to walk with him than to be drugged with him by him. And I've gone through, believe me, I've gone through plenty of being drugged. And sometimes the dragging hurts. You know, if you think about some of the westerns where somebody's drugged behind a horse on the end of a rope, you know, that's what we're talking about. That kind of, you know, you're, you're going where that horse goes. Whether you want to or not, you're going where that horse goes. Well, you could walk with them. And this is the way God is. He says, I'm going to take you where I want you to go. You can do it willingly, or you can do it under compulsion. We as Christians should be going willingly. It's a lot more fun. It's a lot more fun to surrender to God and say, God, I'm just going to do it your way. And then watch as he blesses. I enjoy watching how God blesses. Just a little blessing here, a little blessing there, a little, little thing here, a little thing there. And wow, God, you are so wonderful. You are so good. Doing things God's way. When we get into his word, he's going to teach us how to live. In the littlest things, you know, when people go, well, I don't know what God says about getting married. Well, the first thing we know is he says, don't be unequally yoked. Well, so the very first thing I need to be doing is I need, if I'm a Christian, I need to go find a Christian to ma get married to. Now, that doesn't tell me which Christian to get married to, but it sure limits the field. You know, there's a lot of people I shouldn't be getting married to if I'm going to marry a Christian. And the other side of the coin is I should be marrying somebody who's somewhat equal to me in where I'm at. I don't want to, I don't want to be the one having to drag the, the, the Christian along with me. They're a new Christian barely knowing God. I don't want to have to marry that person and say, okay, get up here, you know. Yeah, I know you're 20 steps behind me, but get up here. <laughs> you know, is that better than marrying a non-Christian? Absolutely, but at the same token, it's, it's going to be, you're going to have problems every step of the way because they're not at the same place. You're still somewhat unequally yoked. 
know, we need to be able to do things God way, God's way. God says don't take, don't borrow money. How many Americans borrow money all the time? You know, unfortunately, I, I've done that myself and still have done that in, in recent years, and yet I know better. And when, t when things get tight, it's tough. Because you know what? I'd love to give God more money. But unfortunately, about 30% of my money goes to borrow, to, to money I, I owe people. You know, and I go, wow, God, I disobeyed you, and now I can't give to you all the money I want you to give. Now, one of my loans is, is a legitimate loan. I had to buy my house, which was cheaper than renting my house. But I still don't like it. But I'm almost done. In five years, that house is going to be paid off. I'm looking forward to the day that house is paid off. And I get a lot more money to give to God. You know, and I already give God a pretty good chunk of, chunk of my income, but you know, I'm just looking forward to being able to give him more. And being able to say, wow, here God, somebody needs help, here it is. When we obey God, blessings are easy. When we listen to God and obey him, life is easier. And we don't have to lose our life. <laughs> You know, eventually that's where ultimately sin leads to his death. And this man ends up dying. That's pretty harsh. And I don't know why God treated him such. He goes into a foreign country, tells the king that he's got to follow God, and then gets killed because he doesn't listen to God and, and walk back out there. That's a pretty harsh penalty. God can be harsh in our life sometimes. Oftentimes he shows mercy. But you know, we have to understand that when God does these things, it is his mercy. It's not what he's required to do for us. And many times as Christians, we live under the mercy of God without even recognizing that it's his mercy. And we need to get to the place where we recognize God is merciful, and there's nothing that says he must be merciful in those situations. Even though he gives mercy more often than not, there's times when he gives us what we deserve as well. And this prophet was given what he was deserved, even though it's hard to understand why. He died because of his disobedience. Was, and it might be just because God was saying, look, you told the king, you stood up against the king, but yet you didn't stand up when the, when the rest of the way and now it's going to cost you. We need to be ready. And this should give us some indication. You know, I hear a lot of people, especially people who understand that once you're saved, you're saved. They'll say, well, I could just do what I want because God will forgive me, and I'm still going to heaven because I'm saved. Well, number one, if you're going in with that attitude, you're going to have to question whether you're saved in the first place. Because if you can, save, if you can sin without having any qualms to sinning, You've got a problem to begin with. But if you are saved and you, sin and you have that attitude, it is true that God will forgive you. Doesn't mean he won't take you home. As this, as this prophet learned, he went home because of his disobedience. So we want to be careful. Just because we're going to go to heaven does not mean that God's not going to take us there sooner than we should have if we're going to be disobedient. Because the testimony is important. Our testimony before the world is very important. If we're living in sin and saying that we're a Christian, our testimony is not one that's good. 
And then we have to look at, God, am I truly saved? Not that you can lose your salvation, because there are many people who have said, God, you know, forgive, me of my, you know, forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus died for them, but don't mean it. Lots and lots of people have done that. You know, because it's a heart decision. And as I said, the difference between truly getting saved and these confessions is 18 inches, the distance between your brain and your heart. Do I totally mean it, or was it just an intellectual assent that Jesus is real and died on the cross? That it's only an intellectual assent, you're not saved. And if you're saved, you're going to be a new creation. That The weight of sin is going to come off you, and you're going to find God leading you. You're going to find you making better decisions with each passing day as God works on your heart and has put a new heart in you. If that has not happened, then you're not saved. Or you have no guarantee of being saved. And this is what James said. Show me your salvation without your works, and I will show you my salvation by my works. He wasn't saying you couldn't be saved, but he's going, basically saying there's no way you can prove you're saved. There's no way you can prove you're saved if you're not living for God. And you have to analyze your life and say, God, am I truly alive in you? If, if your life is being changed, you can say, yep, here it is. God is changing me. God has changed me so much in, in 50 years, I know that he's in me. And there's people in our church, I've seen so much change in them, I know God is in them. There's certain people in the church, I go, well, God, that's, that's up to you. I'm not going to say they're not, but it's up to you. They need to look and say, God, am I really one of your children? Do I truly know you? Have you come in and changed my heart? And it really is important. When you're saved, you're going to have something changed in your life. At least one big thing that you can say, I am a new creation. And then you watch him change you for the rest of your life. And then you really know that you're changed. <laughs> because you look back and say, wow, I would have never reacted that way. A year ago, I'd have taken their head off if they had done that. Now, now I just chewed them out. You know, or, wow, I, I would have taken their head off. Now, now I'm praying for them. Now, that's not going to happen overnight <laughs> in most cases. But, you know, is your life changing? Are you becoming more like God? This prophet made a huge mistake in disobedience, and God took his life. Quite a consequence for a sin. But yet, sin does produce death without God's mercy and grace. We're going to stop there. Lord, we ask you to bless this day. We ask you to bless us as we go out. Lord, teach us to follow you and be obedient to you. Let us make decisions that are godly and following you in all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening, friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believer's packet. You can contact us at 
office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.